Thank you for joining us for another episode of CryptoCurrent. Just one quick reminder. CryptoCurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the CryptoCurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Richard, the team, and their guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow his financial advice. This show and any other cryptocurrency production is exclusively for informational purposes. Everybody for Cryptocurrent. I'm Stephen Miller, and you're watching Cryptocurrent Live, the show where we bring you every single Tuesday and Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time the latest and greatest from the world of cryptocurrency and blockchain. As always, I'm joined by my co-host Richard Carthon. Richard, how we doing? Doing great. Uh, a lot of really fun buying opportunities in the crypto world right now because as prices go down, that means it's a good time to be entering. And for a lot of newbies who just took out a lot of cash in regular stock market places and looking for places to start to get into, and a lot of them have been waiting for crypto, not a bad place to be getting in. So fun times in, Honestly, in crypto man, it's land. been a really How great you, day man? for me. I'm seeing a little bit more green in the market. And I'm seeing a lot of like change in um, the financial air over here. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but we're up 4.6% right now in terms of overall market cap. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Bitcoin retook 43 about 5 or 10 minutes before the stream went live. So I'm pretty pumped about that because that was a really yep. big um, level of resistance I wanted to see us overtake. But we'll get into some more about that in a little bit. But for those of you that are new here, you're joining us for the very first time, whether that's in a recast episode through our podcast platform as we recast this two days post doing it live, or if you're joining us live here on YouTube, we appreciate you being here. If you would like to do us one big solid before we get the stream started, please make sure that you subscribe to the channel, drop a like, let us know that you're here in the chat. We would love to work with you to make this show a little bit more catered to what you want. Um, but in the meantime, we got a big show ahead. So let's go ahead and bring up what we've got on deck. We're talking today a little bit more about decrypting governance and DAOs. So every single week we do Crypto Decrypted, and this week we're talking governance and DAOs. Um, later in the show, of course, we'll get into our weekly calls and blockchain bets to tell you a little bit about our top NFT picks for the month of January. And of course, like we do every single Tuesday, we like to start out with our news segment, and that is called Buy, Sell, or Hoddle. Buy, sell, or hoddle. So like I said, every single week, we bring you the latest and greatest in crypto, and that starts here in Buy, Sell, or Hoddle. The big thing that is on our mind this week is a lot of big names have been coming out and talking big about Bitcoin and Ethereum. Two really big names in the finance space are Ray Dalio and Bill Miller. These two individuals brought out a big statement in particular, first saying that they recommend holding 1% to 2% of your net worth in Bitcoin, while official Bitcoin bull Bill Miller, Bill Miller came out and announced that he has 
now over 50% of his net worth in Bitcoin. Really interesting stuff there, just to start with the financiers, Richard. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what you think about their strategy when it comes to basing how much you have in crypto on your overall net worth? It's a very traditional way of looking at uh, crypto as an investment vehicle. And I think we're going to see more and more traditional and and money start to pour into this space as a lot of people who didn't get diversification into crypto last year and a lot of these institutions that didn't necessarily have a way, the demand got really high and they're saying, you better figure out a way to do it. I'm going to go elsewhere. Uh, you best believe a lot of them have found a way to start to be able to diversify into crypto. So I think this is just the beginning of a, the next wave of, of money see, that's going to start flowing into this The crazy space. thing is the traditional finance and the legacy system hasn't yet fully put their weight in. I think that as more and more of these people come out yeah. of the woodwork, the people that were really like traditional finance purists, they start getting more and more vocal. You're going to see more and more come out. And that started um, even into the sports world in the last week um, as two of the key players for the Golden State Warriors, Clay Thompson and Andre Iguodala, both announced that they'll t- be taking part of their salaries in Bitcoin. Um, across the sports world, you have tons of different names that have come out and saying not only that they'll take part of their salary, they may take their entire salary in crypto. I find it really fascinating that these two in particular have decided to now take this um, salary piece in Bitcoin. Do you think that we are just getting to the fever pitch on this? Because I, I mean, for what I can tell, this is just the tip of the iceberg, especially in the NBA. Oh, this is going to continue. Uh, again, the, um, the, the the fun fact I always like to go back to, I believe in 2020, there's one of the first people to take uh, sports athletes to take their paycheck in Bitcoin. Uh, there was a lineman for one of the teams whose name is slipping me right now and decided, oh, I want my whole salary in Bitcoin. Guess what the highest paid player was in 2020? That guy. So people are taking notice of that, right? And you're you're going to see more and more people start to diversify and take some of their earnings and putting it uh, into into Bitcoin. And what's what's interesting about Clay Thompson in particular is he was, was trending on Twitter. He was like number, I think, I got up to like number five or or, or four uh, in in trending in the world because uh, he announced that on uh, via Cash App, he's part of Cash App to take a portion of his salary in in Bitcoin. So of course, as this becomes more and more uh, widely accepted. And more people are seeing this as not just as a cool thing to do, but like as a viable option, more money is going to come. So like we're really getting closer and closer to market adoption. And I'm pumped about that because when the market adoption really starts to come, that's when, that's yeah, when I would have things to agree. Really I think that the, the athlete that you had in mind was actually the lineman for the Carolina Panthers, Russell Okung. Is that who you had in mind? I had a feeling. I mean, there are other names across yeah. the NFL that have also, you know, decided to make this pivot. You had Trevor Lawrence, this past year's first overall draft pick. You had, I believe, two individuals in the tight end group for the Kansas City Chiefs made the made the move into Bitcoin salary. It's happening everywhere. If you do a little bit of research, I think you'd be astonished to find just how many players are actually taking salary in Bitcoin now. And the providers are growing quicker and quicker and quicker too. You have Gilded as one of the um, players, and we love Gilded here, um, that is allowing which is allowing for um, payroll in Bitcoin. And then you also have these players like Cash App and you also have MoonPay, who's become a massive player in that now too. 
So big things to keep an eye on there. The final... Yeah, go ahead. Real quick, the one other thing I want to add to that, one thing a lot of people are looking at it, it is very easy to spend cash. It is a lot harder for a new person that gets into this to go and spend Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, we talked about that before the stream today. Um, the idea of whether or not we want to talk about, you know, spending Bitcoin versus just hodling Bitcoin. And we both came to the same conclusion that like, there's no reason in the world you'd be spending Bitcoin. None. Because it is such an effective store of wealth and value right, right now. I mean, if you look at Bitcoin historically, a year ago to, um, from today to today, roughly the same price point, but vastly different perspectives. Back in January of last year, you had extreme greed in the market. So that was an ideal time to be taking profits off the table. Right now, we're at the same exact price point, but we're experiencing extreme fear in the market, which means that right now is a really great time to buy. So to me, there's a yep. lot that's playing in Bitcoin's favor right now. Right. But I think that's enough of big orange. Let's move into Ethereum for a second because Vitalik Buterin came out and said some really interesting stuff about Ethereum that I think is ironic as all hell. So as you may know, we talk about it a lot around here. ETH 2.0 is right around the corner and it's apparently not so around the corner. Um, he has said that he believes ETH 2.0 is around 50% complete at the current moment and that it would surpass 60% in his mind once the merge and um, the move over to proof of stake are officially complete. And then he thinks that ETH 2.0 would be over 80% at the point that full sharding implementation took place. Let's just start there, Richard. Do you think that this is a realistic look at what ETH 2.0, the promise of it was? Because to me, I think about this from the perspective of ETH 2.0 really is proof of stake. If you're going to measure ETH 2.0 on anything, measure it on that. That to me is 100%. Everything else is gravy. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think in his, in his mind, he wants all of the major product roadmap things completed. and. Like you said, the big one is proof of stake. Because as soon as that happens, that means the gas fee should substantially go down. And hey, if we're at 50% and 60% is our measure of 100% of it, that means we're not too far away. So that gives me a little bit of more like, hope. Because <laughs> yep, man, these gas it fees, is we got happening. Like, do you know, The shift is taking place. People are more aware of it now than ever before. And I think that when we look back at the predictions that were made at the end of last year on our channel, if you want to go back and play that back, we have a stream highlight of that. We'll try to link that in the show notes. But if you think back to that, when I think of ETH 2.0 and I was in that prediction mindset, I'm thinking of proof of stake. Like, There's no reason I should be thinking about all of the other like promises of like what ETH 2.0 brings. So... I still think that that move over to proof of stake is going to have a really substantial effect on Ethereum's overall market cap. But if they can get the rest to happen within a couple months after, I think it just sets up Ethereum even more so for the future, especially when you consider what he said after this. And that was that he believes the future of like all of Web3 is going to be multi-chain as opposed to cross-chain. Now, I don't want to get too tied up in this because for a lot of people that are just like newbies in the space, they won't understand what this really means. But the big message overall is interoperability, right? And I think that you have a lot of players out there right now that are preaching interoperability. Yep. And I have to agree with him. We need to get past the, like, the 60% mark for us to officially 
be able to move into multi-chain discussions for Ethereum. What do you think? Well, I agree. But the thing that I'm, I'm still... Right, just go back for a second to surpass 80% at full sharding implementation. I know that I've been reporting and looking at sharding for the last three years. The same way he's been talking about all this other stuff. That's what keeps concerning me is that like, there's so much that has to be done. And the more that this network keeps being utilized and growing, the harder it becomes to test and use. Like right now, it is a very expensive to test on Ethereum, like to try to build something, you've got to be spending a, a substantial amount of money. And that also goes for trying to build out and fix a lot of what's happening right now. So to go to your original question, yes, I think the future is multi-chain, continue to do interoperability. But the problem with that model is that if it's so expensive to try to test and make things interoperable, it's going to stop a lot of people from wanting to do it. So if you can find a cost-effective way to do it, they're going to. And if ETH can't really figure out this expensive way to make their chain more interoperable, I think it might get jumped over and these other chains are going to play nice together. I I think that you're right. And at the same time, I think that we're going to see a much clearer test bed for multi-chain interoperable future through platforms like Avalanche, Polkadot, and Cosmos, while Ethereum still struggles to get its feet under it. And on it, it all makes me laugh because, I mean, for all the grief that people in this industry give to Charles Hoskinson, I mean, realistically, Vitalik's been just as bad, right? He's, he's making this like under-promise and still yep. miss the freaking mark by about a, you know, a year, two years. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens. But let's shift gears here for a second and talk a little bit about this week's non-fungible news. Um, Richard, can you take us through the very beginning of this? Yep, so LooksRare launches Marketplace Rewards Program. So the Looks airdrop uh, eligibility based on operating system trading and token trading, aka how much money you spend a certain amount of time on OpenSea and some... Uh, in a certain amount of time, if you depending on how much you spent, they airdropped you free money. now. What they are creating is, I don't want to say, uh, they kind of are competing with OpenSea users uh, to have an NFT trading platform. We've seen three different drops in about three different weeks, right? It's, we're seeing drop after drop after drop. It's very similar. Hey, you spent money in OpenSea. Now we're going to give you free money. Come now use that free money on our set platform or our DAO or, or whatever it is. And I, I think we're seeing the beginning of a trend that you and I talked about a while ago of airdrops. We're going to see more and more and more of them. And a good way to do that, it's smart from a marketing standpoint, because if you go in originally your wallet to see if you verify for it, I immediately have my target audience. Like you want to talk about like apps like growth hacking back in the day when you like launched an app and then you want to bring a bunch of users to a platform uh, to discover what was going on. You usually have to spend a ton of money, airdrop, and you would want to have people who are talking about it. Oh my gosh, just got free money. Have you heard about this thing called Looks? And then the other one is, oh, now I'm on here. Will people actually use the platform? They're literally taking an old model and applying it in a new way. And it's really smart. But I think if it keeps being used the way it is over and over again so quickly and people start to understand what's happening, people are going to stop doing it. Yeah, and look, I think that's it's a my good hot take. take. Um, I think that the, the model for airdrops is going to continue to adapt over time. And I think that this is just the newest 
mechanism for doing it. Now, in the last couple hours, apparently LooksRare is already having its very first set of bugs on the platform in terms of like accidentally over um, rewarding or under rewarding people. But they also have a really interesting piece of data out in the last couple hours that they have a higher um, amount of volume for board ape sales right now than does OpenSea. So we may be seeing some element of a migration happening right before our eyes. But outside of that, in the world of non-fungibles, we have big news from Disney coming out a couple days ago. And Disney announced that they're currently developing some new technology that is going to help facilitate headset-free augmented reality attractions at its theme parks. So you'll be able to go into Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Paris, and all the other ones around the world and experience some AR um, virtual reality and metaverse-capable attractions in the near future. Um, And I think that's pretty exciting, especially for those of our audience members that are big Disney fans. Um, They are out there and they're out there in force, right? But the next piece comes off the heels of an announcement we shared last week. Um, If you may recall, we said that Samsung was planning on rolling out full NFT functionality in all of its televisions for the 2022 lineup. Well, this got a little bit more interesting. Apparently, Samsung is entering a partnership with Decentraland. So that means that they have big plans for metaverse integration in the future. Pretty cool. Now, Richard, the next one is one that I know that you have to be pumped about. So I want you to hit on it for a second real quick. Talk to me a little bit about Lamborghini. Yes. So Lamborghini is planning on launching NFTs. So they teased it. There's a cool little video. And it ends with coming soon. So I can't imagine what these Lamborghini NFTs are going to be. But sign me up. I mean, I got to imagine a classic Lamborghini right now holds its value very strongly and it does very well. So I, I can't help but imagine if you're able to get one of these initial NFTs, it's kind of... On the flip side of that, awesome. other Lamborghini related news, did you see this thing that uh, Mr. Beast was doing across the last couple of days with Lamborghini? So with, uh, just as a quick aside... No. Mr. Beast, who is a really famous YouTuber and he's famous for just giving away a bunch of shit and uh, oftentimes a lot of money. He did this promotion. I can't remember who he did it with, but it was like pay $35 to get a Lamborghini was the whole like thing. So you could basically buy a ticket to win a Lamborghini for 35 bucks. But it wasn't just that like if you don't win the like primary pre-owned Lamborghini Gallardo and the pre-owned, I think it was an Aventador or something like that. Um, if you didn't win one of the real cars, it doesn't mean that you weren't going to get a Lamborghini. They were going to scale it down so that like you would be eligible then for like a smaller version of that same Lamborghini, then a smaller version of that Lamborghini all the way down to like a toy car. Um, and it was hysterical. So um, I hope that Lamborghini decides with their NFTs to do something even bigger than that. Because frankly, I think that's a really funny way to integrate and keep pointing more attention to the brand. But... Back to NFTs, right? I called this a couple months back now. Music NFTs are going to be a massive deal in our world here in probably the next six months. Maybe in Q3, we're going to start seeing it really pop up. But we're officially at the starting line. Rapper Nas announced that he will release music NFTs via the Royal platform. And that starts on Thursday of this week. That is huge news. So he'll be dropping an entire album via the Royal platform as an NFT. Um, or it was um, a single or something to that effect. But 
rapper Meek Mill also announced that he will be dropping his next mixtape as an Ethereum NFT. Just as like a fan of both of these rappers, I want to ask you, um, what do you think of this shift? Is this something we're going to start seeing more and more of, or is this a flash in the pan? Tory Lanez made $1 million in like 10 minutes last year. As soon as that happened, every rapper was like, I can do this. Especially when you have Gary V that's pumping the entire idea up, right? 100%. So, I mean, between people seeing that happen, the access to the money, feeling like they're giving something back to the fans that they can own a piece of, getting the residual income from the secondary market. There's a lot of reasons why it makes sense to do this. There's not a lot of reasons why you wouldn't do it other than taking the time and figuring out how to get the entire new generation of artists get further exposure that they wouldn't have been able to based on the traditional system in music. Um, So big tip of the cap there um, to those artists. Other artists that I would recommend keeping your eye on, especially in the rap space, are Lil Yachty and um, DaBaby. Both of them, I believe, also are eyeing up an NFT future. Last piece is a little bit of a slam piece. Somebody decided that they were going to sell a board ape for 0.01 ETH and they missed out on over $200,000 in profit. You just can't make this stuff up, folks. <laughs> Did they really? And see, that's Did the question really you and know? I pondered earlier. There is a certain thought process out there that says that, yes, this person could be stupid. But they also could be very smart because on paper, you could justify this as a sale at a loss. Now, now, a big loss to sell at a loss for 0.01 ETH. What does that look like? Well, it could really easily look like you are moving it from one wallet that you own to the other and tracking that as a sale between wallets. So we're going to have to watch this one develop a little bit further to really know what happened, Rich. But I think it's an interesting thing to be considering going forward. Um, but let's move into the lightning round, the final pieces of news that we think need to be on your radar, and we'll get through them pretty quick. Um, the first one of which is comes from the SVP of crypto at PayPal, who's just confirmed that they are, in fact, exploring a stablecoin launch. Um, and that SVP, of course, is Jose Fernandez de Pont. Next piece of news, Polygon officially launched their Plonky 2 upgrade. This is going to effectively make the Polygon Matic network the fastest ZK roll-up layer 2 protocol in the world. I think that's really awesome, especially because Polygon in recent weeks has gotten a lot of flack for um, being clogged up and letting fees skyrocket. Then you have Cash App, who we mentioned earlier. They're officially rolling out new technology on their network which is the Lightning Network. So they're integrating with Bitcoin's Lightning Network to make payments faster, which is really exciting. Then last but not least, Richard, I don't know if you heard about this one. It was across the last couple of days. But apparently famed um, NFT influencer Cosmo de' Medici, aka potentially Snoop Dogg, made the announcement that he has another member of the Medici family coming to Twitter and joining his influence army. Well, in the moments after that happened, apparently it was a planned move, but you had over 500 other Medici accounts flood Twitter, claiming to be members of the Medici family. Now, 
again, I, I personally believe this was entirely planned. It was staged because he released a tweet a little bit ago saying that if you can identify which one of them is actually the real one, there is a considerable like reward for you. But he's going to reveal who it was in like the next 24 to 48 hours after the show goes live. Um, so I think it's really interesting. I think it's great marketing. Um, is there anything in there in our lightning round that you want to touch on before we move ahead? Yes, I want to go back to PayPal if they do a stable coin. Why this is a huge deal. One, you can finally save probably a lot more on the fees that you pay. So, you know, when you get paid and then like a huge chunk gets paid out to uh, PayPal before they do that, there's a lot of reasons why that happens, um, both for payments, for transactions, for wire stuff. Like there's a lot of different things going into that for them taking from you. With them having a stable coin, they can most likely greatly reduce that. Because they are now using their own money that's sitting there. So it benefits you. And I think they do this and they do it very well. This could compete with USDC, like actually, like super quickly. And it's like, I don't wanna, like, we're not gonna spend a lot of time here, but I just wanna let you know this is a big deal. And you heard it here first. Like, if they successfully pull this off, this could compete as one of the main. Yeah, look, I'm not sure if I buy it that hard, but I mean, it, it could definitely be very quick um, disruptor in the space. So we'll have to watch that more closely. Um, I got to tell you, I personally still love this Medici story. Um, There's a lot to it that I think is really fun. Um, It's made Twitter a lot more engaging. You've had a lot of people, um, including big celebrities, that are literally changing their own profiles on Twitter now to be like, for example, Eva Longoria de Medici. uh, what did he change it to? I think it was Vincent de Medici was Vincent Van Doe. There's a lot that's going on. I think it's just really fun. It's making the space a lot more entertaining while we've got a uh, turbulent market. But look, that's going to wrap up Buy, Seller, Hoddle for us this week. If you enjoyed our news coverage this week, please let us know in the comments below. Drop a like if we actually changed the game for you in some way and you really enjoyed our perspective. But let's move on to the meat and potatoes of our Tuesday show. And that, of course is none other than Crypto Decrypted. Crypto Decrypted. So for those of you that are joining us for the first time, we'd like to remind you at the beginning of this segment that Crypto Decrypted is our segment every single week where we bring you one topic and we break it down so that it can be a little bit easier to digest. So this week on the show, we're talking about governance participation. And that all centers up around this big concept that's turned into a massive trend this year. It is called DAO governance. Now. Richard, talk to me about what is a DAO, just in very brief. So a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. Um, and what makes it great is that it can convene and make collective decisions off, on and off-chain. Um, and it uses delegation to model um, in cast votes via delegation. So a lot of words, a lot of things unpacked there. But the biggest thing, again, it is decentralized and it allows you to delegate and give each person who owns, um, let's call it a, a decentralized token or whatever it is, ownership so that you can now go and vote and have you know, a, a say in the future decisions of a company or, organ, or organization. Yeah, and I think it's a this, really good in this example. new format that a lot of businesses and organizations and even like people in the nonprofit space are going to want to start taking because you can have a DAO that's just 20 people. 
and they have their vote and they cast their vote so long as they're actually participating. But then there's another set of models, and we're going to get into this in a little bit. And that comes from this word of delegation at the very end there. So what delegation is in this case is like if a DAO is a global DAO and you have like hundreds of thousands or even millions of shares in this DAO available for sale for people to come join the DAO, for example, LinksDAO, I believe they had something to tune of like 500 million tokens. At any level, whether you own one token, five tokens, 10 all the way up, what you can always do is delegate your votes based on the amount of tokens that you hold to a specific contributor within that community and allow your votes to be utilized by that person who can basically serve as your voice and proxy. Um, It's really interesting to me to see how that works out. But you need to understand that as we move into what is governance. Because governance in this case really summed up is it's an organizational tool for deciding where power resides within your organization. It allows for um, risk-minimized decision-making and also goes on to provide more meaningful governance through meaningful voter participation. Now, why do we need this, right? Like, what do we mean by meaningful governance and meaningful voter participation? Well, in a lot of these cases where you have, for example, in a traditional business, you have two forms of equity, right? And in one of them, it's traditional equity. It's, you know, non-voting. It's called common stock. And then you have preferred stock. Preferred stock Mm -hmm. is the voting stock. The problem is, is if you own preferred stock and you don't show up to the quarterly meetings to cast a vote on the you know, progression of any part of the business, your vote is meaningless. It's not meaningful. The benefit of governance models like this is you can technically vote from anywhere or you can assign a vote proxy. So it makes those votes more meaningful because they get a better sample size at the end of the day. Instead of like a 40% turnout, they would get something to uh, to the tune of like an 80 to 85% turnout in most meaningful models. Is there anything that we're missing here that you want to fill in? As we continue to look at a centralized autonomous organization and the importance of having voter participation, just like Steve was breaking down. People want to feel empowered, have a voice with the future of how an organization is going. And a lot of systems that are in place make that pretty challenging and difficult unless you are one of the originals, one of the founders, et cetera. And what this is now doing is giving everyone a lot more level playing field um, and a lot more of a stronger voice that they can present and put forward so that they can be heard and again, move an organization forward. Whereas before, like Steve was saying, with preferred stock versus common stock, you could literally have someone who owns 60% of the, of the preferred stock and it doesn't matter what everyone else says, whatever they decide, that's it. And unfortunately, that's how a lot of organizations, companies, even to this day, are, are run. And so DAOs are focused on trying to alleviate And it also forces them away a from a that. simple majority model, right? Which can oftentimes be very... I don't want to say misconstruing, but I mean, a simple majority calls upon those that are there that can vote yes or no, as opposed to counting in the degree of abstention from your group. So to me, that's a really interesting part of this. And it also really does risk your organization falling into disarray. 
Because if that were the case and you don't have meaningful voter participation, all of a sudden, like you have 70% that are shocked by the turnout of a vote. And then they come back to the next meeting enraged and want to remove the people in charge. So just an interesting take, at least from my perspective. But what we need to talk about now is where is this governance, this new DAO model truly needed within the space? And I think that there are a couple really simple places that we can talk about. We can talk about treasury management. So like with a lot of NFT projects right now, one of the biggest, brightest spots is that they get this massive influx of Ethereum. And then ultimately, it's either up to the team to decide where that Ethereum is dedicated to, or if they form a DAO, they now have all those NFT holders can technically participate in the DAO and make decisions on how the treasury is going to be utilized. Or you can talk about project funding. This one just started up within the time ecosystem because they're utilizing that treasury amount over there to invest in specific projects. They just announced that they um, have their very first investment in a product, a project called BetSwap. So that can either be external funding like that or internal funding if you want to work on a new project inside the DAO. So these votes can be used for those purposes. The third piece that I find interesting is on and offboarding of team members and core contributors. So let's say that you have a toxic member in leadership in a DAO. If you decide that you want to put it to a vote in the DAO to remove that team member or core contributor, you can do that. You can easily accomplish that. And without showing exactly who voted for what, you can sample your DAO, determine the outcome, and move it forward simply. It removes the risk. Lastly, you have setting complex parameters and requirements. Now, this is a much bigger idea, but it's about determining the functions of the DAO going forward. So setting up a constitution, setting up um, operating requirements, outcomes, things like that. So Richard, within this, where do you see the biggest, brightest future for DAO governance, at least in the near term? So I think it's going to be first on and offboarding of team members and core contributors, and also just complex parameters and requirements. So there's been a lot of unique ways that a DAO can be set up, an easy one. Uh, even just to bring up treasury management as an example, a lot of people play fantasy sports. So if, you, if you're in a fantasy football league, you literally put together a DAO, have it set up to where your pot of money is then stored so that whoever wins, whether you do a first or second place uh, winner or you only do winner to take all, now you, you have it sitting in that DAO and then at the end, everyone can vote on whoever the clear winner is and then take it out. Now, Another element of this that I think is really cool with this governance piece is that this is very new. And so a lot of it is still being worked out, but there's a good foundation of how this can be established. So for example, uh, when LLCs first came out, I believe in the 80s, um, a lot of people didn't use them for the first years. Like People just didn't use them. They're kind of looking at them like seeing who would do what. And now LLCs are all across the entire world. You're going to see the same thing happen with DAOs. DAOs will most likely become the new LLCs out in the world. And so now is a really good time to start discovering and realizing how you can start utilizing this. You don't have to do it for an entire company. You could do it for small things just to see how it works, test and and refine it, and then go and use one. And I do want to send a special shout out to Alex 
tab. We, we recently had him on the show. Uh, his, his company Upstream actually helps people with doing some of these DAOs. Um, so definitely go give him a look, give him a shout, go check out that episode. And there's some really cool ways that if you have an idea of, of how you could set up a DAO, they could help you and you can kind of get on your way. But going back to your original question, just put a nice bow on it, Steve. The on and offboarding of team members and setting complex perimeters, I think are the two biggest um, needs. In, and I think in we're already starting to right see now. that. Um, there is there's a DAO um, behind two projects, uh, one of which is SushiSwap. And we've talked about this a couple of times on the show. And we've seen that SushiSwap now is voting within their governance um, on whether or not they're going to dissolve part of the organization, allow for Daniela Sestigali to come in and basically take over as the visionary strategist of the project. That is exactly what you're talking about. It's on and off boarding team members. The other one, I'm way less sure of yeah. because I, I don't recall if the example was talking about this in setting complex parameters or if it was talking about it in on and off boarding team members. But I believe it was on and off boarding team members for Compound. So within their DAO, they ended up having to do almost a complete dissolution of their board at one point um, because it was seen as like things were getting really out of hand and away from vision. And all the DAO holders ended up getting really upset about it and they wanted to change direction. Um, so it may be more a combination of the two. But look, we're talking a lot about the positives here, right? We need to, at the very least, consider the negatives of DAOs or the issues with it as it happens right now. The first big issue is creating informed participants. Now, with votes and bring people together to vote around an issue, a lot of the time with DAOs, it's not like you necessarily have the ability to email all of your DAO holders, right? They need to remain informed on what's going on in the organization at any given moment. Now, the reason you don't necessarily have that communication stream as effective as you would in a traditional organization is because it's decentralized. The very first word in the concept is decentralized autonomous organization. Right. Now, I think that this issue is partly resolved in what we were talking about earlier with vote delegation. Um, but it is still something that is being discussed hotly right now. The second piece that is still an issue with governance is holding decision makers accountable. I would, I would probably charge that like holding decision makers accountable is going to remain an issue regardless of what type of entity you are managing. Um, like you can yep. operate a DAO of 100,000 people or you can operate a company like CryptoCurrent that is a team of 10. It's still really hard to hold decision makers accountable, right? Like that's, that's not something I'm crazy about. Yeah. No, I mean, accountability is always going to be a challenge with, with all of it, whether it's something small, whether it's something massive. Uh, you, and the last piece that's an issue with governance right now is determining if the right people are participating. I find this one really interesting because with a DAO, you don't always know who is participating. And that oftentimes can also be because sometimes you end up getting bad actors buying in. Um, you've seen the formation of some of these bigger, more ambitious DAOs that are considering buying up the Constitution or buying up um, an NBA team or a golf course. There's nothing that stops somebody from going and buying um, stake in that DAO and all of a sudden having a ton of votes and then putting up propositions to the DAO that they could theoretically sway as a bad actor. 
Um, so technically, there you do need to have some mechanism in place to control the people that are in it to ensure that you are staying on the same type of path that you set out to at the very beginning. Am I am I getting to that correctly, or do you see that a different way? I don't think what you're saying is wrong. I think what I would add is. Well, I think what, what what's what's doing it for me is like what constitutes the right people, right? It's going back to informed participants, right? I think that these go hand in hand. For your participants to be informed, then you're getting everyone who wants to be there a chance to be a chance to have a voice. Now, a lot of the ways that these DAOs are communicating are like places like Twitter and Telegram and discord like newer age new types of places where communications are had but even within those forums you still need organizers and and people who are there letting everyone know like hey by the way we're having a vote this day or hey what have you but then what stops like a new channel breaking off and like if you find out who the quote-unquote majority of these centralized people are and then all of them get together now you have quorum you have 51 percent and you're like hey everybody we're on the same page about stuff great Here's how we're voting. Like you, you want to make sure that you are having an organization that truly is staying decentralized in a sense, but everyone is still having an option and a say without you cannibalizing your own decentralized organization. Like I just see a way where our old traditional ways can come back into this forum, depending on if you have the right people in. Because if you don't have the right people in who don't really care and who aren't doing whatever. They're the ones that are going to come stir the pot and do come together and do stuff like that. But if the quote unquote right people, people who really care and want to be there are participating, you inevitably don't run into these part of that like I guess this may be a little bit more about me and the way that I think. I personally think that has a lot more to do with leadership than anything. If you don't have the right leaders at the helm, you're arguably going to have the biggest time the biggest, most difficult time determining if you have the right people there, if the right people are following, because you need good leadership to have a good following. Um, so I don't know. I think it's really interesting. But if you were to have a last word on governance and on the rise of the Dow tide, is there anything else that you would want to speak to um, today before we move on to our next segment? Or um, is there a bow on it? I want to reemphasize. Yeah, the bow I'm going to put on this is learn. Learn how you can become involved with the DAO. So whether you want to make a DAO, whether you just want to be a part of a, a DAO yourself, whether you want to help write one, find like a way in 2022 to figure out what this is because just having that knowledge will make you a massive asset to the rest of the world after they figure out that DAOs are going to be the new LLC. You will have a skill set and an absolute plethora of knowledge that will be an asset to a lot of people. And that will help you make really strong and good communities. So I think my challenge, the bow on top I'm going to put is DAOs are important. Figure out how you can get involved. I know I personally am this year. One of I, I plan on being very, very, very knowledgeable on DAOs by the end of this year slash sooner. And uh, yeah, well, I, I, I can to promise you, Rich, I will be trying to do the same. Um, we did have one final question um, from the audience. And that was from a good old friend of the show, um, Peter who 
was saying that, at least from his perspective, is it that DAO governance is protected from bad actors via tokenomics or is this the other way around? And I would have to tell you that tokenomics actually doesn't defend anything. Tokenomics may defend the investors, but I don't see that as necessarily defending the governance model from bad actors. Um, Any bad actor can always put money in. And even if they are a bad actor that has access to millions and millions of dollars, they can buy up the DAO's um, shares. And by buying those tokens, which are the shares, you can ultimately do a lot of damage as a bad actor. So that would be my final thought on that. But I do think that DAOs are, without a doubt, the future that we're moving towards, whether that is in a nonprofit setting, which may become its own form of entity, like a nonprofit DAO, versus a traditional DAO that's for-profit. We'll have to see. But that's going to wrap up Crypto Decrypted for us this week. If you enjoyed Crypto Decrypted, please let us know in the comments below. Hop in the chat. Let us know what you think right now. But also, if you can help us beat the YouTube algorithm, we'd greatly appreciate your help. Make sure you hit that like button. We need to make sure that we're getting these videos out in front of more people. Um, There is one final segment that we do in this show every single week on Tuesdays that is very near and dear to our hearts. And that is where we get a little degen in Blockchain Bets. Blockchain Bets. So when I say that we like to get a little degen around here, I mean that we get degenerate. We'd like to go and invest into higher risk assets. And there is no more high risk place right now in the world of crypto, arguably, than non-fungible tokens. And every single week for the last like year year or so, right. as long as we've been doing this show, I feel like it's been a year. It's actually been about six months. Um, we've been doing these calls every week with traditional yes. projects. We're going to shake it up for you now. Because in 2022, we think we can make this bigger and better. So last week's episode, if you didn't catch it, we gave our picks for the month in traditional tokens. And today, we're going to give you our top picks in these categories for non-fungible tokens. First category is projects with blue chip potential. Second category is breakout month, meaning that we think that January is going to be a massive month for this specific project. And then last but not least, an upcoming project for the month of January. So Richard... Why don't you start us off? What is your blue chip potential NFT play this month? All right. My blue chip potential is SVS, aka the syndicate. And what is really cool about these guys, they have all kinds of amazing partnerships that they're putting in place. They are, uh, for the initial people who got in, in full disclosure, um, SVS is something that I've, I've Person been looking at, and they uh, even gave away some swag to some initial people who got in uh, on their on their mint. And they are looking at metaverse plays. They they have a lot in their pipeline, and so they have a lot to be excited about. And they're even trying to get with even more people in the influencer market. So um, SVS is one that has my attention. I think has a ton of. I'm gonna go with bats because you know. They're vampires. So look, I think that the amount of at bats they've got right now is kind of insane. And it's all because their team. Um, I think that you and I both feel really, really strongly about SBS in the long term, but I don't necessarily think there are many other projects out there that have as an aggressive of a team as SVS. And that's not to say that all vampires are aggressive, because these, in fact, are sneaky. Um, my blue chip potential pick this week is going, sorry, this month is going to be Project Nanopass. Nanopass is a really interesting project in my mind, not because it focuses on rarity, 
not because it focuses on any specific deployment of utility, but more so because it's focusing on all of the utility. This project is bringing you not only a metaverse play and a forthcoming um, avatar project that you'll be able to utilize in this blooming metaverse. It also is serving as one of the top alpha groups in the space right now. And what I mean by an alpha group is these alpha groups exist where you can go out, joining, join into an alpha group and get specific intelligence that you may not necessarily be privy to outside of it. So by getting a Project NanoPass NFT, you get access to their Discord server and some exclusive channels there that are otherwise set to private that you don't have um, vision into, where they have very set out um, and exclusive partners that are sharing Intel behind the scenes. So this includes everything from upcoming token launches in the traditional ERC-20 sense to massive NFT plays that are coming to market um, in the short order after. I will tell you this, I really like their form and um, general design. It looks like a small plot of land and has little specifics around it that are uh, very unique. So I'd be looking at Project NanoPass to make that next leap. And as of right now, they actually are taking a pretty significant jump. I think over the last two weeks, it's about 0.2 ETH. 0.2 ETH. Sorry, I don't know if my mic picked that up. But talk to me about your breakout month play. So breakout month, gambling apes. So gambling apes came out on the market and was promising a way to be able to come together with other gambling owners of these gambling apes and be able to participate um, in real life events as well as being able to gamble in the metaverse with your ape. Um, say how the world has a ton of gambling out there and how the they already successfully did an event out in Vegas last year where owners would be able to go out and participate in a blackjack and a poker tournament and, and you know, be able to watch like some of the sports games going on at the time. It just seems like a really cool um, community that's being built that's, you know, very open and out there as far as gambling goes. But all of the different types of events that they're putting out is what is, I think is going to continue to drive value, especially as they make more and more ways that you can participate in the metaverse. And that's what is making me think it's going to have its breakout month. I think more people are going to start discovering that this exists and they're going to see the potential of it. And I mean, the floor on this thing keeps keeps rising each month. So, yeah, I think there's a lot that's coming gambling from Gambling Apes, apes right now. Um, and I think the other piece that may be a little bit of an insider alpha call here is there is currently rumblings that we meet. They may be getting a partnership with a Poker Stars or another entity in that caliber here in the near future. Um, so they've got a big metaverse casino that's already active. Like you can go and play in them in their metaverse casino, and you can even stake to earn a return on what the casino actually makes from um, the people that go and gamble there. So very interesting project, Rich. Great call. Um, my breakout month play should not come as a surprise to anyone. Um, we had them on the show last week. It is Illuminati NFT. You can follow them on Twitter at truth. These guys have one of the strongest communities that I've participated in. When I say that, I mean that like they're doing every like they're doing something new every day. They are constantly uplifting one another. 
They are really, really hyped around the artwork, the artists themselves. They're giving a lot of support to individuals that have joined the project. I don't know if I mentioned it, but the art is insane. Um, they have a lot of plans and they are basically creating themselves and positioning themselves as a secret society on blockchain. So what that means is they're actually going to have real, in real life meetups and dinners and get togethers all across the world for their holders to be able to network and at the same time, get more alpha on additional projects. The big key word for me in, in a lot of these projects right now that I'm high on is alpha. If a project can give you utility through insight and intel, that's insanely valuable because you're going to be able to get more returns and build more money off of what you're learning from that NFT group. So my breakout month is set for Illuminati. I think the paper hands are gone in the next week and a half. What about upcoming drops, Rich? Do you have your eye on any one in particular? Yes. So uh, Census One, um, they are pretty new to the game. They've been building for the last like four years. And um, actually, their uh, episode's releasing this upcoming Friday. And after speaking with them, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so unique. They're basically training artificial intelligence to have a, a gaming play where you own these, these uh, NFTs, you help train algorithms so that you get paid. So it's a play to earn model um, by using these NFTs in the, in, the, in, the, in the universe, but you also get paid for owning specific words that you meant. So for example, the word love, somehow you minted the word love and the AI pairs, if every time that the word love is used or referenced or et cetera, you get paid on that. And like, when he was breaking all this down, it was a lot to take in. But like now that it's all clicked, it's extremely unique. And I think it has a ton of upside potential. And this one's actually one that's launching on Solana. So it's uh, you have to get whitelisted. And of course, it'll be the secondary market. But like this is this is one uh, upcoming that like I I personally have my eyes on. So I think this one's... So uh, I actually nearly cool changed my third pick to an AI-related play as soon as you had brought this one up earlier. Um, I'm starting to get the feeling that AI is going to be a massive, massive category within the NFT landscape. And if you're looking for another project to go look at within AI right now, it's Alethea. So A-L-E-T-H-E-A. They're doing some really remarkable stuff with um, AI-based NFTs as well. But alas, I did not change my project. My project is none other than Invisible Friends. Invisible Friends is a project that is being brought out by the Random Character Collective, who is already... I would say trailblazing or trail walking in this case because it's an animated um, walking invisible friend. They're trailblazing in the space right now based on really unique art from really standout artists. Personally, I've been in their community. I've been trying to get a whitelist spot for this. It's going to be extremely hard. You're going to have to spend a lot of time to get on the whitelist for this project. I believe it's coming out at the end of this month. And every single thing I can tell from it is indicating that it's going to be an instant rocket ship. So I'd be looking to get into this on the secondary like very, very soon after they sell because as soon as they reveal, this thing could be going for 5 ETH in a hurry. And, and like there's just no, no second guessing that. Like This is a really big project. Um, the art is fantastic. I don't think I've seen many generative plays that are animated in the way that this one is. Because they're all really creative and really unique from one another. So 
I'd be keeping an eye on Invisible Friends. You can find their collective. Again, it's the Random Characters Collective. Now, Rich, again, it's the first month that we've ever done specific picks within the NFT landscape. Are there any others that you want to shout out right now before we call this one a day? Um, I'm going to keep it at these. There's several out there that have my eye. Um, one shameless plug that I'll put out there is uh, I still think the Bungie project has a ton of upside. Um, he's a, a, an amazing artist and even is trying to find ways to do more and more uh, unique drops and give value back to um, the people who own one and uh, have some physical art going out to a couple people who uh, were able to mint early as well. So I think Bungie Project is, if you're, if you're not familiar yep, with I it, I really like their art. Check out. Um, and again, Brendan, the artist behind that one has been very much so after the idea of bridging the gap between physical and digital art. So worth checking out. I, one last word, um, NFT for this week's Blockchain Bets is going to be WGMI interfaces. Probably one of the most unique um, 3D... I don't necessarily want to call it an avatar project, but like it's in its own way an avatar project. Very little is known about this project. I would go follow them on Twitter. It's WGMI and then exclude the next I interfaces. Really awesome artwork worth checking out. But that's going to do it for this week's Blockchain Bets where we've brought you through our top picks for the month of January. If you like any of these picks, please let us know in the chat or in the comments. Or of course, you can get at Richard Carthon or at Steve Miller underscore PHX on Twitter to tell us whether or not you think that we've nailed it this week. But let's go ahead and jump into our final bit where we talk about what to watch for. What to watch for. So in the upcoming week, we have a couple great episodes coming out here on Cryptocurrents channel. Rich, who's your interview this upcoming Friday with? So this upcoming Friday is Paulie. Since this one, which I was just telling you about, that's working on the AI um, play that is in NFTs, metaverse, and a bunch of other things. Really cool, interesting um, conversation. Highly recommend you check out. And I think you had a really cool interview with uh, someone this Monday. Um, this past Monday, I hosted Vincent Orlack for a sit-down interview about his upcoming podcast on the metaverse called the So Meta Podcast. He's taking it from a really objective point of view and asking a lot of the big questions about Really, what is this metaverse going to offer us going forward? How is it going to tie into the marketing world, the branding world? And is it really all that it's going... It's all that it's being pitched as by players like Facebook and the big advocates all across social media. Otherwise, that is going to wrap up our show this week. But I do have a surprise lightning round question from a follower of the show for us to answer before we go. And that quick question comes in from Austin. Austin asks, when observing the market cap of the entire crypto market, what does it really mean as you're looking at it? And then what do changes in the value of the overall market cap mean for investors? So um, I'll attack that one. As you're looking at the entire market cap, you have to look at where the money is flowing into. So we achieved the $2 trillion market cap last year, which is awesome. A year before that, at the lowest, it was around uh, 300 billion. So we saw almost a 10x in, in market cap. It got up close to the 3 trillion at one point last year. So literally almost uh, a 10x, which is exciting. 
But when you look at the entire market cap, you used to have to watch was Bitcoin dominance. Bitcoin dominance used to always be somewhere between uh, 60 and 80, 75%. But now that that's gone out the window, it's, I think it's close to around 41%. Ethereum has picked up and you're seeing the rest of the market. What's exciting about the entire market cap now as it is increasing or decreasing with Bitcoin dominance staying low, then that means you're seeing a lot more money flow into the overall market and alts have a lot more money flowing into them. So as you look at the, again, the big picture of market cap of, of where things are at, as it increases, you know, intrinsically, the rest of the prices must be increasing as well. However, even when you're seeing decreases um, in the market, there still might be some alts out there that are thriving and, and doing well. So you, when you're looking at certain projects, look at individual projects, overall market cap, and see where the upward potential is because the lower they are, um, they're riskier, but that also means they have a lot of upside as well. So look at the teams, look at the projects, look at the timelines that they're hitting and if they're doing well. It, the it only could be one thing that I would add to what you said, Richard, is that if you want to look at market cap and answer it from the perspective of what does it mean, I think it's the easiest barometer of overall market health. So when we're looking not just at Bitcoin, but we're also looking at all of the altcoins as their own segment, and then Ethereum, and then even stablecoins, it gives us the best measurement of how much money is currently in the market. Um, as of right now, as I said at the top of the show, the global market cap for cryptocurrency is up 3.6% on the day. That's huge because it's the first time, I believe in the past four or five weeks, that we've seen a positive upward move. That means that there is a chance the bottom is in, but we could also see a slightly um, more aggressive move down before we see the eventual return in the upcoming weeks. But that is going to do it for us here at CryptoCurrent. We appreciate you taking the time to join us this week for another great live stream. We'll be back at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday, where I'll be joined by Chris Corneros, and we'll be getting into all the fun topics we talk about there, everything from the aftershock on down to another buy-seller hodl. We appreciate you being here. Drop a like, give us a comment, tell us how we did this show, and we will be seeing you next week on another Crypto Current Live. Stay Crypto Current. <laughs>